What is up? What is up? What is up? Welcome to the Mitch Davis Show, Friday, February 7th, 2020 edition of the podcast today, College Basketball Friday. I'm your host, Mitch Davis. You can follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight. Find all my SEC basketball work at NoHuddleSports.com and also my Memphis basketball work over at TigerSportsReport.com. Find the Facebook page at The Mitch Davis Show. You can also find the podcast wherever you like to listen to your podcast by simply typing in The Mitch Davis Show. Find me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight. Want to thank our sponsors, S.Y. Wilson on the historic Arlington Depot Square. They've got you covered from everything you could ever imagine from outdoors needs to Memphis, to SEC, to everything in between. You can find that at S.Y. Wilson, the historic Arlington, Tennessee, Depot Square. On today's edition of the podcast, today we have two very special guests to talk a little college basketball with us. Shelby Mass, bracketologist, and also Blake Lovell, uh, editor of ClutchPoints.com. Both these guys joined the podcast today to talk a little college basketball, so it's a big honor to have them on and talking college basketball and trying to make sense of the complete madness that is college basketball. I'm your host, Mitch Davis. Follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight. And without further ado, I would like to welcome our two guests to the podcast. I am joined now by Shelby Mass, head head bracketologist for BracketWag.com, and also USA Today, uh, CollegeInsider.com. This guy knows what he's talking about. Welcome to the Mitch Davis Show. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. Thank you for coming on. I was telling you before we came on, it's always a fun time when you get to talk college basketball, especially with somebody new. Yeah, I love talking hoops and brackets. So let's uh, let's talk about the brackets. How do you formulate the brackets? I know a lot of people at home, you know, and this is kind of a two-part question. A lot of the everyday fans don't really understand the process behind the selection committee and, and guys like you that go into making the brackets. What is that process, and how do you look at each team and say, hey, this team deserves a two-seed, this team deserves a one-seed? Well, the difference between me and the committee is it's just me. I don't have anybody to bounce ideas and you know, do real in-depth discussion. But the committee, that's the main thing they do is they, they discuss and they vote. So it's not they say, I think this team should be on this seed line for this reason or whatever. They vote and then vote. Uh, we'll, we'll place the seeds, one seed, two seeds, and so on and so forth. And then once they get down to the end, then they can vote on teams to be in or out. Once they have all that, then they go through and discuss seeds, where, you know, should this team move up or down or whatever. So with me, I'm trying to uh, simulate what they do. I, I basically go through and I've got my seed list, which is very important. You rank your teams one through 68. And then you have your others that are outside the bracket for now. And you just go in and start comparing their resumes. Uh, WarrenNolan.com is a great website. He has all the team sheets, all the net. It's all up to date. Um, and you just go in and compare. It's, it's, it's an opinion, basically. Do I think this team is better than this team? Uh, and they've beaten more good teams, more quad one, more quad two, more road wins, et cetera, et cetera. And you just kind of go through and rank them. 1 through 68, then you start placing your top four seeds, which are the protected seeds, into the bracket according to region, their preferred region, and then you start placing them in pods 
uh, their preferred pod. Once you have those done, then you fill in the rest based on geography and sticking to the bracket rules. So you can't play, uh, if you play the team during the year, you can't play them in the first round of the tournament. If you play them twice, you can't play them until the third round, etc. There's a whole bunch of rules you got to follow and remember. If you just start placing teams in those pods based on geography and then go over it to make sure you had not messed anything up, because I do that, since I do this every day, I, I myself, like Houston, has been a perfect example to me. I've put them in the South region so many times, but they're one of the hosts, so they can't beat it. So you got to go through it and move stuff around, and then there's your bracket. I've got to ask you this question, because a lot of people ask, you know, myself and a few other people, what is a quad one or quad two, you know, just for the everyday fan? You know, you and I both know, but the everyday fan watching college basketball might not know, hey, this is a quad one win, this is a quad one or quad two win. What is what is that for the everyday fan? Well, the committee used to, when they had the RPI, what they did is they based, uh, they, they had your, one, your top 25 games, Home and away, one to twenty. You know, did you beat a top twenty-five? Did you beat a top fifty? A top one hundred, etc. And they decided that, which I think is fair, if you beat team number thirty-three at home, that's a nice win. But if you beat them at their place, that's a better win. And so they they didn't really have any way before to differentiate. So once the net ranks everybody, it goes through. And if you have beat a team at home, one through thirty or a team on the road, 1 through 75, or neutral, 1 through 50, that's your quad one. And so there's a little bit of overlap there, but you get more credit, so to speak, for beating a team on the road. Uh, and your quad two at home is 31 through 75. Neutral is 51 through 100. On the road, it's 76 through 135. How they came up with those cutoff points, I don't know. I think they're pretty fair. Because you're beating team number 100 on the road is better than beating team number 100 at home. And so that's how they differentiate the quads and they base everything off of that. Your four one seeds, Baylor, Kansas, San Diego State, and Gonzaga, are these four true one seeds or are you going to see more change as this season progresses? Well, I think with San Diego State and Gonzaga up there, they can't really afford to take a too many losses without falling because they are in weaker conferences. They, the, the bottom half of those conferences are just not so good. And that's not no fault of theirs. That's just the way it has played out this year and most years. Uh, Mount, uh, Mount West has been good in the past, sending uh, multiple teams multiple times. This year, uh, from about the top three or four, you're getting down to some pretty bad teams. So San Diego State were to take a loss to team number, I'm just going to pick one, team number 287, uh, while I played it twice so they won't, but a team like that, that's going to put a star on their resume that they might not be able to overcome and stay on the one line. Uh, Baylor and Kansas, I expect to probably stay there unless something happens and they fall apart. Uh, I'm comfortable with these four seeds right now, the four one seeds. Do I think they are set in stone? No, not yet. Jumping over to a team like Memphis, what does Memphis have to do? You know, you also look at Purdue, who's got some good wins, but also some bad wins. Um, you look at those couple teams, Arizona State's another one of those. What do they have to do to be safe and secure in the NCAA tournament? Well, I think they have to 
the easy answer is win. Just win as much as you possibly can, and the coaches should be telling the, the players this. Just win. Don't worry about everything else. Things will fall in place. Uh, my advice to them would be win the games you should win. Don't lose games that you shouldn't lose. For example, a home game to a lesser team. Don't do that. Uh, maybe get a couple of road wins, and if you have anybody good left on your schedule, a, a quad one type team, play your heart out. Try to get the win. Memphis has got games at Cincinnati, at UConn, home versus Houston, at SMU, uh, at Houston, and home versus Wichita State. So they've got a schedule that's built to make a run and move, improve their seat from where it currently is. Uh, you can't afford to lose all those games. Uh, I mean, those are good teams you're playing, home and away, some of them. Just, just do what you can to keep winning. That's easier said than done. I know there's no magic formula because what one team does may be okay, but other teams around them in their general seed area, if they have big upsets or lose bad games, that can affect seeding as well. You know, we see this every year. A couple of years ago, it was Middle Tennessee State. Uh, this year, Murray State and Belmont. Neck and neck in the OVC. Belmont got the upper hand last night. What does one of those teams have to do to get an at-large bid, or is there no chance for a team like Belmont or Murray State or others to get an at-large bid? Yeah, I don't think either of those two teams have a legitimate shot for an at-large. They've played too bad of a schedule, uh, which is something the committee emphasizes. Your non-conference better be as tough as you can possibly make it. Don't go play a bunch of cupcake teams. Uh, Belmont was rewarded last year getting an at-large, uh, they were in a play-in game, but they still got in, and that, that was big for them. Uh, I don't think they can do it as an at-large this year. There's only two teams besides San Diego State and, and Gonzaga that I think could get an at-large as a mid-to-low major at East Tennessee State. They've got a win over LSU, which will come in handy on Selection Sunday. And Northern Iowa has got a win at Colorado, and they've only got three losses. So both of those teams, I think, have a legitimate shot. As long as they don't lose to bad teams coming down the stretch, that they're shot to get enough large. Um, I don't think there's really anybody else out there that I feel comfortable, you know, really focusing on as that large. Liberty was one that started off great, but they've lost to some bad teams coming down the stretch. And I think you know, their, their margin of error for the smaller schools is so small because they don't play that tough of a schedule. In a year with absolute craziness, who has absolutely disappointed you per se? You know, that you said, hey, before season, they're possibly going to be an NCAA tournament team, make it second weekend, but here they are and they're out of it. Are there any of those teams that have just completely disappointed you this season so far? There's two right off the top of my head, both in the ACC, North Carolina and Virginia. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I had North Carolina... I think on the one line come into the year, and Virginia on the two or three line, uh, you know, it's a trap shoot coming into the season, but that's where I had them. And I know North Carolina had some injury issues, and Virginia just didn't bring back the team they had last year. So they had uh, unusually high expectations and maybe unfair expectations. Uh, I think Virginia still has a shot to get in the tournament, but North Carolina, unless they beat Duke tomorrow, they're probably pretty much done. You know, looking at this season, this is also the second part of this question. Who has surprised you? Who has done better than you even thought was possible for that team? Uh, Baylor and San Diego State. Uh, if I had Baylor in, it was 
double-digit seed, and I don't think I had San Diego State in. They were probably one of the other teams I was keeping an eye on. But both of those teams have completely blown away the expectations, and, and rightfully so. They, those are good teams. No matter who they're playing, you know, between them, they've got one walk. They were one at Kansas. That's just something that doesn't happen often. San Diego State hadn't played as tough of a schedule as they are, but they played a, a decent enough. They better went over. Brayton was a really good team. So those two stand out to me, not just because I have them on the one line, but I just think those two have stood out as the biggest positive surprises of this season. Last question I have for you, and this is the million-dollar question for everybody. Uh, in a year that has just seen complete parity, who is in your final four, and who do you have maybe, you know, the two or three teams cutting down the nets uh, the 1st of April? Well, I'm not going to base it on my bracket today because two of those teams that I have my eye on to get to the final four are in the same region. But I think Gonzaga has a good chance. Uh, I like Seton Hall a lot. They've got, they've got five quad one road wins, which is that's tough to do for a full season, and we've still got a third of the season to go. Dayton, I've seen them play a lot. I like that team. Their only two losses are to Oregon and Kansas, both in overtime. So they're basically two points from being undefeated. Um, if I had to pick another one, oh, man, I don't know. I'm going to throw one out there. How about Maryland? I think the Big Ten is going to give them a good enough test because it's so deep that they will go into the tournament having played enough tough teams that they will be tournament ready. He is Shelby Mass. Shelby, tell them where they can find you on Twitter and all your uh, awesome bracket work. I, I enjoy reading your brackets each and every day. Thank you for that. Uh, you can find me on my website, bracketwag.com. Daily updates, unless something unforeseen happens during the week. I'm in USA Today Sports every day. I'm on collegeinsider.com. They focus more on the smaller schools and the majors. Um, Lots of radio. Follow me on Twitter at BracketWag. I think that's about it. <laughs> Shelby, thank you so much, and I, I almost guarantee that I'm going to have you back on before Selection Sunday. Thank you again, and hope you have a great weekend. Thanks for having me, Mitch. I am joined now by a good friend of mine in the industry, Blake Lovell, editor at Clutch Points, podcast host of Marching to Madness, and a regular on the Mitch Davis Show. Blake, how are you doing today? Doing well, Mitch. Uh, thanks for having me back on, man. Man, it's always a pleasure. It's always a good time when you and I can talk SEC hoops, and this year's been crazy. Yeah, no, it has. It's, uh, <laughs> I tell you, we, again, we say this every year that this league, the unpredictability and sort of the gap between, you know, the teams at the bottom and the teams at the top, but this has definitely been a season, as we've seen with Vanderbilt beating LSU the other night. I don't think you could have scripted it another way uh, to sort of uh, hammer home the, the unpredictability of this season. Let's open it up with that 99-90 to win for the Vanderbilt Commodores. Let's talk about it. What did you see out of Vanderbilt before we get into Saban Lee's uh, big game that he had against the, against the Tigers? Yeah, I think, I mean, look, it's, to, to me, Vanderbilt's been a team, when you look at this, I mean, let's consider they, they shot 74% from two in this game against LSU. They made 12 threes. Um, they got to the line 23 times. I mean, let's think back to how this season has gone for them. The three-point streak was broken. Um, you know, they haven't shot the ball well at all, really. Uh, even, you know, since Aaron Smith was injured, 
And now to have a game like this where, you know, they just hit shots. And sometimes it is as easy as that. You know, if you just hit shots, it makes the game a whole lot easier. And, you know, we think back, and I was pointing this out to someone, you know, think back to the game at Auburn where they lost by four when Auburn was still undefeated. Um, Think back to the game at Kentucky where they led by double digits in the second half, I think. Uh, And then they lost by six at home to Florida. So it's not like, even with this long losing streak, it's not like, Vanderbilt was playing just awful basketball, kind of like they were towards the end of last year when they were just getting blown out by everybody. Um, this team has sort of gotten a lot better, and they're starting to figure some things out. And I think it was the case of hitting shots and the fact that LSU has not been a great defensive team this year. all came together, sort of a, a perfect type of scenario, I think, for the Commodores. You know, I think a lot of people there on the west end of Nashville is asking, is this the turning point for this Commodore team to build into not only the rest of this year, but also build into the future of Vanderbilt basketball? Oh, very well could be. And I, you know, I'm someone, and there have been different opinions on this, but I'm someone that's thought Jerry Stackhouse has done a great job all year long. And, you know, people can try it, or we're trying to sort of, I guess, throw him under the bus and, you know, trying to attach him to this long losing streak when you consider, yes, I know they started 0-8, um, but, you know, like he said, too, you know, he wasn't part of last year's streak. He had nothing to do with that. And I think it's something where knowing what the roster looks like, they don't have the depth they need, you know, to be a top-half SEC team right now. Uh, and kind of knowing all those different things, for them to still be at this point, and I know they're 1-8 in conference play, everybody's going to say, well, how could we possibly think this is a positive situation? If you just watch the team play and you see how they've developed, I do think it's certainly heading in the right direction. They've got to recruit well, and I think that's something that is still yet to be determined on the types of players they're going to get in. Uh, he wants to focus on player development, and that's always important. Uh, but in the SEC, you know, sometimes that can take a little while uh, when you're trying to compete with Kentucky and Auburn and LSU and Tennessee and all these other teams right there at the top. So I, I think he and his staff are doing a good job, at least, you know, with the encore product of getting better. Uh, and this could very well be a situation where now that they don't have to hear about this losing streak, you can bet they're going to play a lot more loose uh, here moving forward. And I would want to be a team, you know, that plays them knowing that, that they are kind of a more confident bunch right now. Maxwell Evans, before we get into saving Lee, Maxwell Evans had a great game against LSU, 31 points. Talk about his game against the Tigers on Wednesday night. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously it's a game that's sort of come out of nowhere in terms of that many points, but I've always thought that, that Max Evans is someone that, that's shown those flashes of being, you know, a potential, you know, double-digit type of scorer. He's, he's been up and down ever since he got to Vanderbilt, but I think we also have to add it to the, to the mix. I mean, look, he, like all the other players, he hasn't been, you know, in what you would call, uh, I guess, an ideal scenario when you think about, you know, the coaching changes, the, the losing streak, the injuries. This is a program that's just had bad luck the past couple of years. And so maybe having to play – you know, out of position at times, having to do things that, that maybe don't necessarily fit his skill set. And it's the same with all these other guys. I mean, Saban Lee's been in that same position, you know, before. And he's, you know, he's had to move over to point guard last year like Darius Garland got injured. So sometimes asking these guys to, to do things that they're not comfortable with, there are going to be those ups and downs. There are going to be those, you know, inconsistencies. But I think overall, just like with Saban Lee, Max Evans is someone that's shown a lot of potential in his career at Vanderbilt, and like we said, sort of just, you know, hitting seven threes, you can't predict something like that, but um, he's a con- you know he's a, he's a capable player, and I think that to see him come along like that, he's another one that you can add to the mix and say, 
that guy's going to be a lot more confident moving forward and look forward to, to seeing how he plays the rest of the year. Let's talk about Saban Lee. This is a guy that you've been high on since he stepped foot on the Vanderbilt campus. Um, and, and I love the kid as well. The kid can ball out. 33 points against LSU. Talk about his game and how important he is for this Vanderbilt team. Yeah, he's, he's the most important player on the floor. Darren Neesmith out for the year. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. I just, I think you're, you're starting to see, and you look at his numbers from this year, I think I think he's hit double digits in all the two games this season. Um, and, and I think that's what we, we expected him to be at this point in his career, to be honest. Like, I think his junior year, we thought he could be that type of player, and he has become that. And yes, you know, he's getting more opportunities because of the injury situation they've had the past year. It's just because of their roster. You know, they've got younger guys playing. You know, Scotty Pippen's having to play a lot of minutes as a freshman. Uh, all of these other guys are as well. But Stephen Lee has kind of had to be that that leader on the team. And even when Neesmith was on the court, it was still Stephen Lee's team in terms of he's the guy that, that, that makes everything go. And, and, and I think he's someone that we're probably going to look back on. I mean, again, we know sort of this season, Vanderbilt's probably going to finish, you know, near the bottom of the SEC. Uh, next year, we don't know how approved it's going to be. But even with maybe his entire career, we look at it and say, well, man, look how bad Vanderbilt's record was during the stretch that he was there. I just don't think that's giving him enough credit for what he's been able to do and how he's been able to grow his game as a player. Uh, because, again, injuries factor in, bad luck is factored in, and so many other things with coaching changes, you know, the athletic department, now we're changing athletic directors. I mean, he's been in the middle, like a lot of these other players that, you know, in different sports, He's been in the middle of a very interesting time at Vanderbilt Athletics, uh, but he's been really fun to watch and his development. Uh, you can't doubt it at this point because he's become quite a player. Making the transition over to the rest of the SEC, who has been a surprise team for you um, and who's also been a disappointment to you so far in this uh, midway point of the season? Well, I guess it's sort of it's hard to call Florida a disappointment um, in terms of being 6-3 and three in the SEC. But overall, I mean, I think we have to look at Florida and say this team overall has been disappointing. Um, and again, we're saying that, and there are still only you know two games out of first place in the SEC, so it kind of feels interesting to say that. But uh, given what the expectations were, for Florida to be right now a, a sort of guarantee to win, I've said this, you know, Florida's in a stretch here where they've won two in a row, but they have to win five in a row. Like, they have to win an Ole Miss on Saturday. They have to win at Texas A&M next Wednesday, and they have to beat Vanderbilt at home because they can't afford to lose these games to non-NCAA tournament teams you know, who are ranked in the 100s when you look at the net and things like that. So this is a big stretch for the Gators, and maybe that'll, that'll go a long way toward, towards turning around kind of the perception of this team. Uh, but they're still going to have to prove it against you know being able to beat teams like Kentucky, LSU. Uh, they've got Kentucky twice, of course. They've still got a game against Arkansas. So... The Gators are probably that team just because, you know, I don't think we could call an Alabama that because Alabama's just been hit with injuries so much that, I mean, it is what it is with them. I mean, I, I, I didn't think they'd be 4-5 and five in the SEC right now, but with the injury situation they've had, I don't think you could ask for much more. The most surprising team, I mean, honestly, it's probably Texas A&M uh, because they're 5-4 and four in the league. I mean, they're a top-half SEC team right now. And I thought they were the worst team in the SEC in November. Like, that, they looked far and away to be the team that was furthest behind. And for Buzz Williams to have them where they are right now, you know, playing some very confident basketball. And, yes, you know, 
most of those SEC wins are against you know teams that we probably project to finish in the bottom four or the bottom five. But getting that win at Tennessee, I think, showed what they're capable of. They've got a really tough final five games, uh, but they've got a couple games coming up here next. So they're going to have some opportunities to win. So the improvement the Aggies have made, I think, has really been the most impressive thing to me. What, one of the questions I have for you is Nick Richards for Kentucky. How important is he for that Kentucky team? And is he your SEC player of the year? I can't tell you, Mitch, how many times I've been asked that the past week or so um, about trying to pick an SEC player of the year. And I keep changing my answer every time. So um, I guess I'll go with Nick Richards in this instance. But, you know, certainly if we look at what Nick Richards has done, what Mason Jones has done at Arkansas, Reggie Perry at Mississippi State, those are probably the top three to me right now. And again, I think you could make strong cases for all three of those players. The problem I think Mason Jones is going to run into is because Arkansas is 4-5 right now in the SEC. And usually if we see an SEC player of the year, you know, they're probably on a team that's higher up, unless they are just you know so far in front of maybe someone scoring-wise, which Mason Jones could be by the time the season's over. Um, he could very well get it no matter where Arkansas finishes. But, you know, if you look at it that way, and then, you know, Reggie Perry the other night at Kentucky didn't play necessarily well, uh, but he's been really good all season. I think Richards, and someone said this to me yesterday, certainly when you look at the overall just arc of his career, it's been, you know, one of the most impressive things we've seen this season in, in the SEC basketball, or maybe college basketball, because he's developed his game so much. And, and you asked, you know, the importance of him to this Kentucky team. He is the guy that makes this team go. And some people might say, well, it's Ashton Higgins, um, you know, other guys. But but Nick Richards is the guy that they have to have every single night because of what he plays. Now from a scoring standpoint, he should just be a rebounding standpoint. But now, you know, it's from a scoring standpoint where they've got to have him score the way that he has. And he's still dominating the glass, getting to the free throw line. Uh, it, it's just been tremendous to, to see how he's come along as a player. And like you said, you could certainly, you know, make the argument, I think, for different players right now. But if Kentucky finishes 1-3-3 three, three in the SEC, uh, you're probably looking at Nick Richards as the player of the year. I've got two more questions for you. What are your expectations heading into this last part of the season, uh, regular season in the SEC? And who do you expect to maybe come out on top to win the regular season? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I think when you look at it, you know, the SEC is in an interesting spot right now because <laughs> – tournament perspective. Right now, I think Joe Lenardi's got six teams in. Uh, Mississippi State is the last team in, I think, as he put up this morning, which we're talking on Friday. Um, And, you know, so you you could see four teams get in. I mean, you could see a team like Florida fall out. You could see Mississippi State fall out. And I think the question is, who who could be the team that comes up from, you know, going from, let's say, uh, I don't know, a four and five record, a five and four record? Who are the teams in the middle? that could come up and be tournament teams. And right now, like we said, Mississippi State's at 5-4. and four. Arkansas, even at 4-5, and five, is still a ninth seed in Lenardi's latest bracket. So they're in, and, and I don't know that we see Arkansas fall out. I still feel confident enough in their defense and in Mason Jones that they're going to find a way to stay in there. Uh, but, you know, could an Alabama make a run here? And knowing their injury situation, we feel like it's going to be hard. Tennessee, Tennessee's 5-4. and four. they got the toughest schedule left of anybody in the SEC. They're not going to fall off far numbers-wise because they're playing so many good teams. But if they can win some of those games, I think you see Tennessee maybe take a step forward, get back into that tournament conversation. But then at the top, you know, I still look at LSU's schedule 
And it's interesting to say this because I just lost the banner, but when you look at LSU's schedule, it doesn't feel like, you know, the worst setup in the world maybe for them. Now, they've got some tough road games, but I think they're going to respond well from this. I think Will Wade's going to have their attention in terms of their defense. But right now, I mean, you're probably saying it's going to be Auburn or Kentucky. And which one of those are able to win, you know, the SEC regular season? Who's going to have the most momentum? I'll tell you, it's it's a tough to pick, but I think it's neck and neck with Auburn and Kentucky, and I wouldn't be surprised if we're going into that final week of the last two games touched there, uh, where one of those teams are going to be able to, to seal the win and get the regular season title. You mentioned LSU, you mentioned Auburn, and you mentioned Kentucky. All three teams have a lot of important games left in the season. Tucky's got Tennessee on Saturday. Auburn's got LSU at home on Saturday as well. What are some of the other games that are going to be pivotal points for the SEC heading down the stretch here? Yeah, I think, and I'm saying this to someone too, you know, Mississippi State's 5-4 and four in the league. But if you look at their schedule, I think Mississippi State has the easiest schedule left of anybody in the league. And that's something to think about because – you know, now you've got LSU with one loss, you've got Auburn and Kentucky with two losses, and Mississippi State's got four, but, you know, again, someone's got to win Auburn and LSU. You know, someone's going to have to win these other games, like we're saying. You know, Kentucky and Florida play twice. Um, so, really, when you look at it, I also wouldn't be shocked if Mississippi State somehow finds their way into the conversation. And, I, and I don't, I'm not saying they're going to win the SEC regular season title, but if you look at their schedule, there are two toughest games left. Are at Arkansas and at home against Alabama. They've got Vanderbilt in there. They've got Ole Miss twice. They've got South Carolina twice. Um, they've got Missouri and they've got A&M. So the setup's actually pretty nice for, for the Bulldogs there and Ben Allen's group. And that's a team I would really keep an eye on here moving forward because they've got an opportunity to rack up a lot of wins, even with all the unpredictability we talked about. And there are no givens um, when it comes to just sort of looking at this uh, in the SEC, as we saw with LSU and Vanderbilt. But don't be surprised that Mississippi State is able to put together a big streak here down down the stretch and somehow factor into that equation, even if it doesn't give them a huge boost from a tournament standpoint because they're playing teams that probably aren't going to make the tournament. Uh, but they could be one that goes into the SEC tournament red hot, possibly has a chance to get to that championship game, and maybe, again, have a chance to, to possibly you know find their way into being a five, six seed or so in the tournament. Blake, thank you so much. Tell everybody where they can find all your work. And as usual, man, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And hopefully I'll see you at the SEC tournament in a couple weeks. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Mitch. Uh, yeah, I always enjoy catching up with you. And, uh, yeah, the best place, I guess, to find all my stuff right now is, is on Twitter at Blake Level, uh, as I mentioned to you before we started recording. Uh, I've got an exciting uh, announcement coming up here pretty soon uh, to be, you know, covering. Obviously, I cover the SEC and going to get a chance to do that uh, a lot more here. So looking forward to that. And that'll sort of give everybody uh, another location uh, to be able to, to find all my work. And it uh, should be a lot of fun with that. So. Blake, thank you so much, man, again. And uh, hope to see you in Nashville in a couple weeks. Sounds great, Mitch. Thanks. You have been listening to The Mitch Davis Show. I've been your host, Mitch Davis. A special thank you to Shelby Mass and Blake Lovell for coming on the podcast today to talk with us a little college basketball. You can find me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight. And also, 
Lastly, and most importantly, a special thank you to our sponsors at S. Rod Wilson, the historic Arlington Depot Square. Before you head to your college basketball game of choice this weekend, stop by S. Rod Wilson and pick up your collegiate apparel. And also, if you're heading to hit the lake on this cold weekend, be sure you swing by S. Rod Wilson. They've got all your bait and tackle, your outdoors needs, your collegiate apparel, and everything in between. They have it there at S. Rod Wilson on the historic Arlington, Tennessee Depot Square. I've been your host, Mitch Davis. Be sure you follow the Facebook page at The Mitch Davis Show. Shoot us an email at TheMitchDavisShow at AOL.com. Follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore 8. And you've been listening to The Mitch Davis Show.